the world we know is changing. I'm Moira Gunn, and welcome to Biotech Nation. Today on Tech Nation, long COVID. It's new, but it may be related to the medical condition fibromyalgia. Tonics Pharmaceuticals is recruiting in human clinical trials for both. We'll talk about this with Dr. Seth Letterman, its co-founder and CEO. And now, Dr. Seth Letterman. Well, Dr. Letterman, welcome back to Tech Nation. Thank you for having me on. And I mean, welcome back. (laughs) I've spoken with you over the years on all manner of efforts uh, from military-based PTSD to depression and sleep disorders. And I see now you have cocaine addiction and overdose treatment, a smallpox and monkeypox vaccine, a COVID vaccine, all way too much to talk about in a single interview. So today I thought we'd talk about the two clinical trials you're now recruiting for. One is a phase two trial for long COVID, and the other, further advanced, is a mid-phase three trial for fibromyalgia. And here's the punchline. They're using the same drug. Are long COVID and fibromyalgia related? We think so. Fibromyalgia is a relatively common pain syndrome that affects mostly women and is remarkable for four key symptoms, multi-site pain, fatigue, trouble sleeping, and brain fog. And nobody knows the cause of fibromyalgia, but many people suspect that it is a post-viral illness, meaning an illness that people get after they've recovered from a viral infection. So along comes COVID, and suddenly people all over the world are affected with the same virus. And afterwards, many of them are getting long COVID. And we think that long COVID is very similar to fibromyalgia in the fact that many people have multi-site pain, fatigue, sleep problems, and brain fog. But it's also similar because it is about two-thirds women more than men. And we think that they're very similar, if not the same. The big difference being that with long COVID, we know what the viral infection was. In fibromyalgia, we're often just guessing that there might have been a viral infection. At some point, that we know it's COVID might end up influencing everything. Exactly. It probably will mean that the long COVID patients are more of a homogeneous population, meaning that they are getting this condition related to the same virus. But in fibromyalgia, it may be more heterogeneous or, you know, more little differences in between people with fibromyalgia, because some people may have gotten it, uh, for example, after an Epstein-Barr virus infection. Other people might have gotten it after a flu infection or something like that. So we won't know as much about fibromyalgia, but I think that for long COVID, we'll have a, a clearer idea because it's easier to study things that are homogeneous. Now, fibromyalgia is a well-known disease. It's recognized by the FDA. Long COVID is new. Has FDA had the time to recognize it 
as a disease? Well, you're correct that fibromyalgia is recognized by the FDA. There are three drugs that were approved. Uh, two of them became significant blockbusters. One was Eli Lilly's Cymbalta, and another was Pfizer's Lyrica. So these are, you know, became very significant products. And also the recognition by those companies and the promotion and the outreach to doctors and the rest of it was probably very positive because it allowed many people to recognize that what was ailing them had a name and had some therapies with some benefits. So fibromyalgia is very well recognized now. Long COVID is recognized, but not understood. And our view that long COVID is so closely related to fibromyalgia is not yet, I'd say, the majority view on this. I think that it's widely discussed among thought leaders. Certainly, you know, in our conversations with the FDA, uh, you know, no one is discounting the view, but I don't think it's widely accepted yet. Before long COVID appeared, a very famous academic rheumatologist, University of Michigan, predicted that this viral epidemic would be followed by an epidemic of essentially fibromyalgia. So I think that there's a lot understood about it, but still not uniform agreement. The other thing is that we're talking, when I say that fibromyalgia and long COVID are the same, I'm really referring to about two-thirds of long COVID. About one-third of long COVID is a grab bag of things like scarred lungs or um, a heart attack or stroke that may have happened during an acute COVID infection. But the two-thirds that I'm referring to are people that present with multi-site pain, fatigue, sleep problems, and brain fog. Now, I remember reading a, a report from the FDA about long COVID, and it kept mentioning chronic fatigue syndrome. Do they believe that's related there? Yes. The, re the report you're referring to was issued by HHS, Health and Human Services, the parent organization uh, under which FDA sits. And it was the National Research Action Plan on Long COVID, and it came out in late September of this year. And it was issued in response to an executive memorandum from President Biden requesting the report. So they convened a panel of experts and came up with you know, a very interesting document. And you're correct, 19 times in the report, they refer to the connection with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is uh, called CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome. And no time in the report did they mention fibromyalgia. So on the one hand, we were disappointed that the National Research Action Plan didn't expressly mention fibromyalgia. But for experts in the field, the linkage to chronic fatigue syndrome was pretty much the same thing. Fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome overlap significantly. Uh, same patient may be called fibromyalgia by one doctor, chronic fatigue syndrome by another doctor. We were surprised that the blue chip panel decided to use chronic fatigue syndrome as the paradigm 
of a post-viral pain syndrome because FDA has not yet recognized chronic fatigue syndrome with any approved drugs, whereas fibromyalgia, as we discussed, is already enshrined at FDA and in our mind is really the prototypical post-viral chronic pain syndrome. But we did think it was very important that the blue chip panel from HHS recognized that long COVID is new in the context of COVID, but it's not so new in the context of the fact that millions of Americans already have post-viral chronic pain syndromes, most of whom are diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Now, you've talked about what it's like to have fibromyalgia, but what's happening internally if you have it? Well, that's a great question. And I've been interested in fibromyalgia for many years. Before entering the biotech industry, I was a professor at Columbia Medical School and, among other things, practiced rheumatology in the university clinic. And rheumatologists are the subspecialty of medicine who take care of fibromyalgia patients. So I have clinical experience with fibromyalgia going back for many years. And fibromyalgia is very frustrating for the patients because multi-site pain is defined by the patients as, I hurt all over. And that just means that there's pain in more than one part of their body, and often all over their body. And many of them have been frustrated by their interactions with the medical system in that not all doctors are qualified and confident to recognize fibromyalgia and treat it appropriately. So sometimes patients get treated with things they probably shouldn't get. For example, opiates are commonly used and they don't help. It can just cause trouble and the rest of it. So the life of a fibromyalgia patient is usually pretty frustrating. But now that fibromyalgia is getting more recognition, now that their drugs approved and doctors are better at diagnosing it, I think the experience overall for patients is slightly better. But what we are interested in our drug is that we seem to affect the condition broadly across these four symptoms, whereas some of the earlier drugs are more focused on one symptom or another. And our drug, TNX-102SL, is a bedtime medicine that's taken under the tongue every night, and we believe it improves sleep quality. Now, I mentioned that poor sleep was one of the four symptoms, but we think that it's a really critical symptom. If you think of fibromyalgia as the enemy, we think that the sleep problem is like the Achilles heel of fibromyalgia, that if you can get the sleep addressed, then the patients experience improvements on the other symptoms, the multi-site pain and the fatigue and the um, brain fog. Well, is this a sleeping pill? It is not a sleeping pill, and that's a great question. Sleeping pills, the term sleeping pill usually refers to classes of drugs that are also called tranquilizers or sedatives. And that, you know, that group of drugs started out, you know, in the 60s, um, it would have been things like barbiturates. And then later came in the um, Valium class drugs. 
And then after the Valium class drugs, which, um, uh, you know, were often used for sleep. And then, then there were a group of drugs called non-benzos, uh, benzodiazepines. Yeah, benzodiazepine is the class of drugs that Valium is the most famous member of. And then a, a new group of drugs is called non-benzos, but they really reacted with the same uh, receptor in the brain that that benzos react with. So all of those drugs are measured in the same way, and that is they decrease the time that someone is awake after their head hits the pillow. So that time when someone's head hits the pillow until they're asleep is called sleep latency. And all of the tranquilizers and sedatives that have been you know, tested decrease sleep latency. So they make, it, they make someone fall asleep faster. And our drug doesn't do that. Our drug is designed to improve the quality of sleep. And quality of sleep is something that you can really only measure by how someone feels the next day. Was their sleep restorative? Did they wake up feeling refreshed? And these are things that really haven't been addressed before um, for these other drugs like tranquilizers and, and sedatives. So, so that's why our drug improves sleep quality. But I think if you use the term sleeping pill, it brings you back to that other, those other older drugs that, um, you know, that basically knock someone out. So you appear to be asleep, but you're really knocked out. You're not doing a restorative process for your body. That's an excellent description. And, you know, the, the sleeping pills are really not meant to be taken on a long-term basis. Unfortunately, many people do take them, you know, uh, you know, for a number of nights in a row. And some people even take them, you know, chronically. But that's really not how they were intended to be used. And, um, and whereas, you know, they, they're really meant for if you were served, you know, real coffee at dinner and you're expecting decaf, or if you had too much chocolate because you just couldn't help yourself after dessert or something like that, then these kinds of uh, medicines do work, but our drug would not work in that context. Our, our drug only works if it's taken repetitively night after night over a period of time. As a matter of fact, so you really only start getting benefits about you know 10 days or two weeks into a course of therapy. So ours is made to kind of reset the cycle of sleep and wake and get people back into um, a, a natural progression where their sleep can be restorative. Now, do they go after a different receptor than the benzos and non-benzos? Yes. So our drug does go after a completely different um, uh, treatment approach in terms of brain receptors than the benzos. The benzos all interact with the same receptor. It's a, called the chloride conductance channel. Um, but Ours actually interacts with three different receptors in the brain, all of which are known to play roles in sleep quality. So one is called a serotonin receptor, the serotonin type 2A receptor. Another is a receptor um, for histamine. And in, in that respect, our drug is 
kind of like an antihistamine that you know that other people might take for allergies um and at the same time it goes after a group of receptors called the alpha adrenergic receptors which are you know relate to uh epinephrine or adrenaline for example so by hitting these three receptors, our single drug, we call it a multifunctional drug, the same drug specifically interacts with these three receptors, but it sets up an environment where uh, better quality of sleep can be achieved. It sort of calm down. Yeah. Calm, um, I don't even know that it would be called calm down because it's not a tranquilizer it just it just sets up a, a a situation so that when you're trying to sleep the sleep can be more restorative but an important difference is also that you know in in the experience that people have had on our drug they're also not knocked out they can be woken up they can answer the phone they can you know respond to things so it's just something that sets up an environment in the brain for if the person is sleeping, then the sleep can be better quality. We believe that sleep with good sleep quality it can be restorative and can help these people heal. Now, our studies are only designed to test whether repeated administration over three-month period makes them better in the end. And that would be a goal for future studies to see if there is really some kind of resolution of the underlying process. But we do think that our drug can be taken for long periods of time chronically and can continue to provide a reliable benefit um, in improving sleep quality and then improving these other symptoms like the pain, fatigue, and brain fog. Now, the sleep that people with fibromyalgia have, the sleep problem that fibromyalgia people have is distinctive. So we don't know whether this would help people with other kinds of sleep disorders. We're really very narrowly focused on people with fibromyalgia or people with long COVID who have a particular type of sleep disturbance and you know that's the type that in the phase th three study that we've already completed successfully, that that's the type of sleep problem that can be addressed by our medicine and can lead to these other benefits. We actually do know some things about long COVID, not because we've studied them scientifically that we normally do, but because we have looked at medical charts, correct? Yes. Well, um, we and other people have looked at series of long COVID patients, and the uh, conclusion that long COVID is related to fibromyalgia is not uniquely a tonics uh, observation. As a matter of fact, people studies in different countries around the world have have come to this in in different ways, uh, sometimes using different terms. Uh, one study that showed two-thirds of long COVID patients were similar to fibromyalgia measured something called central sensitization. And that's a brain phenomenon that people think is at the root of fibromyalgia. 
um, another group of very prolific uh, and creative investigator, uh, the St. Louis VA, has looked at numerous uh, medical records of people in the Veterans Administration system in the United States and concluded that, um, you know, there are many of these uh, symptoms seem to be similar to ones that people with fibromyalgia would complain of. But then I think what you're referring to is we at Tonics did a medical chart review from a very big database in which uh, looking at millions of Americans, we were able to identify about 53,000 with long COVID. And we were able to confirm that about 40% of them had multi-site pain as kind of a leading symptom for why they were uh, presenting to the doctor. And we think that that's important because that's pretty similar to fibromyalgia. Now, when you do a chart review, you don't have the opportunity to follow up and say, oh, you have multi-site pain. Do you also have fatigue? Do you also have brain fog? So it's, it's more a question about what their leading complaint was. But when 40% of them said that you know, they came in complaining of multi-site pain. That really does seem pretty similar to fibromyalgia. You're listening to Tech Nation. I'm speaking with Dr. Seth Letterman, the co-founder and CEO of Tonics Pharmaceuticals. We've been talking about long COVID and the medical condition fibromyalgia. Now, as we said, uh, you're recruiting for two studies, same drug, two different conditions. Um, in both, you're at 30 locations throughout the United States. Uh, let's distinguish them. They, they, these two studies seem pretty similar. They're very similar. The the main difference is that in you know someone with fibromyalgia had to have had fibromyalgia before COVID, and someone with long COVID can only have this syndrome after having COVID. So, you know, by, by definition, long COVID presupposes a prior COVID. So, so these are people that were, you know, by and large healthy and not afflicted with these symptoms. And then after COVID wound up, like about 20% of people do who recover from COVID, a 20% wind up with long COVID and uh, which is a growing problem because these long COVID lasts for months or years, whereas COVID comes and goes if someone survives. But if 20% of people keep continuing to get long COVID after they recover from COVID, that number is just going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And that's that's why the president um, uh, required HHS to provide the National Research Action Plan, because if this continues unabated, it could really decimate the health of of Americans. Uh, it's estimated from a, a Europe, uh, an English study about twenty five percent of people with long COVID are unable to return to work. So these are these are very important problems. And given how common COVID is and how common long COVID is becoming, uh, we really need to get out in front of this. Now, how long would people be on the study, uh, they'd be taking this nightly. And I, you said it was sublingual, it's under the tongue, just dissolves. 
So how long would they be on the study? And I guess some of them would get placebo and some of them would get uh, your drug, right? Yes. Both studies are really similar. They're both intended to enroll about 470 patients each. As he said, half the patients will get placebo, half the patient will get our medicine. And either the placebo or the medicine is given every night at bedtime. And the um, study goes for uh, 14 weeks. There's two weeks where they start at a at a uh, half dose of the medicine, and then 12 weeks, which is the full study period, where they're on the full dose of the medicine. And the primary endpoint is to see how they're doing at the end of the study. And in both cases, the primary endpoint really focuses on the pain. Now, both fibromyalgia and long COVID are much more interesting, much more, you know, multi-symptomatic, but pain is the endpoint that FDA is the most comfortable with. And looking at pain, that's been the basis of the approval of the three approved fibromyalgia drugs. So we think we're on the firmest ground uh, to get a approval in long COVID if we focus on an endpoint that FDA is already comfortable with. And I understand that you have an iPhone app. Yes, that's the way that studies are done now. The um, you know the patients are required to come in for periodic assessments, blood work, things like that, to evaluate the safety of the drug, to make sure you know that they're healthy through the trial. But the most important information that we're getting in this trial is through a daily um, app, where uh, at roughly the same part of the day. Uh, patients enter into their phone uh, their experiences for you know the preceding 24 hours. How has their pain been? How has their sleep the night before? And things like that. And you know that's very reliable data, and we get a lot of data. So we um, and and that's the data that FDA is going to be looking at primarily to make a decision about whether to approve the drug or not. Now, how does a person find out about enrolling in either one of these studies? Our website, our company's website, has a banner on the homepage that provides a link and information about how to enroll in the two studies. Our company's website is tonics, T-O-N-I-X, pharma, P-H-A-R-M-A, com so www.tonicspharma.com no spaces t o n i x p h a r m a and the banner ad will be at the top of the homepage and we invite people who are suffering from fibromyalgia or from long covid to please go to our webpage and hit the link and find out if there's a study site recruiting patients near them as you mentioned there are about 30 sites across the country, actively recruiting for each of these two studies. Now, I just want to end here because we haven't actually spoken about this, but uh, when someone says they're in pain, the person that they may be talking to, they're not in pain. You know, there's no painometer you can put on your your arm saying, oh, this is how much pain a person is in. They go, oh, we can see that. Over time, this long being in pain and perhaps different every day, there's, I have a real empathy for people because there's a sense that 
Other people can't sense it. They can't empathize with them. Sometimes they don't even believe it. You're absolutely right. Pain is a subjective experience so that in the end of the day, only the person experiencing the pain can can report about what it's like. But on the other hand, there are a lot of subjective experiences that humans can agree that we share with each other, even though we're not experiencing the actual sensation of the other person. So I think pain is a universal um, experience of, of humans and animals. I mean, pain is well documented in animals. And um, the for our for our study, we, we do training so that we help the patients uh, understand how to set up a scale and how to answer our scale reliably so that zero means no pain and 10 means the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. An average fibromyalgia patient comes in um, you know, with over a four on that scale. I think, you know, typical study, they may average about, you know, seven and then, um, you know, come down with the treatment over time. One of the bigger advances in medicine, I think, has been the understanding of pain. And um, obviously, we had the shameful um, opiate crisis in the United States that, you know, related, was related to pain and, and, you know, the over-prescription, over-prescribing of opiates and the promotion of them. That was really disgraceful. But but we, we have learned a lot about pain, the science of pain. And now it's generally recognized that there are three distinct types of pain. They have scientific names that I'll apologize for, but I think I'll give you an example of what each one is. So nociceptive pain is the traditional kind of pain that if you stub your toe, you would experience. Neuropathic pain is when there's a problem with the nerve. For example, in sciatica, where one of your, um, you know, where one of your spinal bodies is compressing a nerve, you get a very distinctive kind of pain. Or, for example, uh, herpes zoster. If there's a viral infection of the nerve, then you get a particular type of pain. And the third type of pain that's been really the latest to be understood is now called nociplastic pain. And that's the pain of fibromyalgia. So nociplastic pain is pain. It, the patients experience it as a real pain. It's very real to them, but it originates in the brain. And it uh, originates in the part of the brain that normally processes pain stimuli. And as best as we can tell, it's an alteration in the threshold at which the brain decides something is painful or not. It's almost like a broken thermostat that this part of the brain is not working in such a way that experiences that a healthy person would not label as being painful are signaled to that person as being painful. One of the interesting things about nociplastic pain is we keep talking about pain. Pain is the, there are five senses and pain, when we generally refer to it, is the extreme sensation related to the sensation of touch. But fibromyalgia patients actually have extreme sensibility to all five of the senses. So they are bothered by bright lights, loud noises, bad smells, and uh, you know uh, unpleasant tastes. 
So this part of the brain that regulates what we call painful and when we call it actually is at a level that is closer or higher up than the differentiation between the different five senses. So what we're really trying to do is repair something that's really deep in the brain. And fortunately, it seems like this is more of a software problem than a hardware problem. And what I mean by that is, it's not something like a stroke where something has been destroyed and can't be replaced. We believe in our positive phase three study supports the idea that over time, a treatment can allow the body to adjust and reset this thermostat. Well, Dr. Letterman, this has been terrific. I want to thank you for coming and please know uh, you're welcome uh, on Tech Nation anytime. Thank you very much for having me on again and for such interesting questions. Dr. Seth Letterman is the co-founder and CEO of Tonics Pharmaceuticals. More information is available at tonicspharma.com. That's T-O-N-I-X, tonicspharma.com. I'm Moira Gunn. You're listening to Tech Nation. Listen to more biotech podcasts at biotechnation.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Biotech Nation is a regular feature of the weekly public radio program, Tech Nation. Listen to the full show via podcast or on your local public radio station. For Biotech Nation, I'm Moira Gunn.